Hey, thanks for joining and welcome to Shift, PwC Canada's podcast series, where we go behind the scenes with Canada's leading organizations to hear their digital transformation stories. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, Executive Creative Director here at PwC Canada and Backyard Grillmaster. Brands, banks, and basketball. That's what we're talking about in the Season 2 kickoff of Shift. In this episode, we go behind the headlines with Clinton Braganza, the CMO of Scotiabank, to learn about the record-breaking acquisition of the Scotiabank Arena. I came in thinking, it's just about the name. But I discovered, and you will too, that it's so much more. Have a listen. All right, welcome to Season 2 of Shift. Amazing that we're in our second season. So today we have an amazing guest, a topic that's super close to my heart, and that's marketing. And today we have the CMO of Scotiabank, Clinton Barganza. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. So for people who are listening, and then maybe they're not super familiar with what a CMO does, what you do for the bank, maybe you could just take a second and kind of fill us in on all the great stuff you're doing. Yeah. Um, so first of all, for Scotiabank, we are Canada's international bank. The origins of the bank are, uh, in fact, uh, Scotiabank is older than the country itself. It's older than Canada. It, it started out in Nova Scotia in a coffee shop is where it first started. But we operate in 40-plus countries uh, around the world. And uh, really my role is to work with each of the teams in the local markets to make sure that we have a solid brand architecture. We also are the customer advocate, so it's marketing's role to speak on behalf of the customer internally. And then I would say more classic marketing, sponsorships, communications, those are the, th- the three functions of our team. Let's talk a little bit about what it means for Scotia to be intrinsically wrapped up into the fabric of, of Canada. Yeah, and, and really if I think about um, Scotia Bank and the fact that we serve so many million Canadians, one of the big pillars that we've invested in over the course of the last decade is, is hockey. Mm-hmm. And quite simply, we are investing in hockey because Canadians love hockey. And when I say we invest in hockey, I mean all the way from grassroots, supporting kids' community hockey, right to the top where we are sponsor of the NHL and several hockey teams, professional hockey teams here in Canada. Let's start at what's on, I think, a lot of people's minds a few years ago, because we're talking about the bank's investment in hockey. When you think about hockey, it does become part of... Canada in a way that I think no other sport or activity can do. And you went ahead and you got the rights to what was previously the Air Canada Centre. And I think that blew everybody's mind because the numbers were staggering. For those who don't remember, it was like $800 million for 20 20 years. Correct. Talk to me a little bit about the thinking, the strategy, why that was important for Scotiabank to do. So you're right, uh, Air Canada had taken over naming when the building was first built. Mm-hmm. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. So for 20 years, that building has been called the ACC. And when Air Canada and the Toronto uh, MLSC team couldn't come to a deal, we looked at this as a very, very unique opportunity. In many ways, this is the crown jewel of buildings in Canada. There's a basketball team, there's a hockey team, and then premier concerts. So Many, many nights during the year, that building is, is full. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are now part of the social fabric of this city, but also of the country, that's a really, really unique proposition. Yeah, well, I mean, working down here at 18 York, and for those of you who 
are listening and may not know where we're recording from, we're, we're at uh, uh, um, York and Bremner, which is across the street from the Scotiabank Arena. And we get to witness firsthand the mayhem that happens around there. It really be, has become a hub, a social hub of excitement and passion and sports and music and all the things that make us individuals, which I think is super cool. And that happened very organically. If you actually think about the origins of the building, it was built below Front Street. 22 years ago, there was nothing around the building. No. And I remember coming down when it first opened thinking, oh my gosh, like why would they build this building so far away from the heart of it all, that being Young Dundas at the time? And now you're absolutely right. This is the heart of our city. What we as Torontonians and we as Canadians experienced in the last couple of months was nothing short of spectacular. And I feel very lucky to have been involved in, in a deal of that magnitude. Mm -hmm. It can't have been easy. You want to take us through a little bit about how, how it came to pass? I guess the first thing that we needed to do is we needed to make sure that we were aligned on our strategy. This started with us being the official bank of Toronto Maple Leafs and frankly, a desire to protect that really, really important asset. And so much like the best house on your street that goes up for sale once every 20 years, there's a bit of a, a conversation that starts in the street and the price tends to go north. And that's exactly what happened. And that's a, a, a oversimplification in many ways. Mm -hmm. But we knew that we had to protect our asset with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then we started becoming extremely excited about the proposition of having our name on the side of this building. Again, north of 280 nights a year, that building is full. Mm -hmm. And to have your name associated with hockey and basketball and concerts and pop culture, from a bank's perspective, it really orients towards banking in the future versus banking in the past. And by that, I mean... Banking these days is much, much more digital mm -hmm. than it has ever been. 80% of our transactions now occur outside of the branch. You can do so much on your phone, that open up credit oh, accounts, yeah. open up savings accounts, open up a mortgage. So as we think about tomorrow's generation, the health of our brand is really going to be propped up by integrating into popular culture with assets like the Scotiabank Arena. How do people react when Scotiabank took over the naming rights. I mean, we were so used to calling it the Air Canada Centre. And I mean, there was a fair amount of negativity around when Skydome changed from Skydome to Rogers Centre. And I think, you know, you see people on the street and they, they have the shirts that said, I still call it Skydome or I'll always call it Skydome. Yeah. Right. So take me through that. I mean, how, how, do, how do people feel? Did you have a lot of work to do around correcting them or helping them understand what's going on here? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. In many ways, we were trying to break a 20-year habit. We had to do a lot of heavy lifting because the reaction that we got was change. And, and generally speaking, consumers don't like change. And so we really, once the deal was signed, that became, for year one, our entire focus, which was how do we really embrace Scotiabank Arena in Toronto and across the country? And how do we really accelerate name adoption? Because our uh, work with Google Analytics suggested it would take about two and a half years to really have that name mm. cement itself. And we had some good luck along the way. So the day that our sign was going on the side of the building was the day that the Leafs signed John Tavares. Two weeks later, uh, the Raptors signed Kawhi Leonard. 
And so suddenly the narrative started to shift around ACC, Scotiabank Arena, to, wow, what's truly happening in that building, which is these sports franchises are setting themselves up to really take a serious run at championship. Yeah, I mean, talk about a perfect storm. But I think it's really uh, fundamental for people who are listening to understand that when you go and do an undertaking of any type, uh, sponsorship, some sort of alignment, whatever it is, it has to be true to your brand value. And I think it's really important for Scotiabank. That's kind of like you have it from, as you said earlier, end to end, grassroots to the basically the crown jewel building in the country. What do you think that does for the consumer experience? How do you think people really internalize that? And, and what's the attribution like towards Scotiabank as a result? Uh, when we focus in on, on hockey and we drive affinity and brand association with hockey, what we see is that more Canadians are willing to consider Scotiabank for more products and services than the average. And that's really, really important in our category because you don't switch banks that often. No. If, if you think about your own life and your family's life, you choose a bank, and generally speaking, that's the bank that you go with. Mm. And so our data shows that those Canadians that are aware of our association with hockey have a higher consideration for Scotiabank than those that don't. And so in many ways, hockey allows us to punch above our weight class relative to the category leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read some articles basically on on the return, or at least the supposed return on, at least the, the investment on the naming rights. Can you talk more specifically about what, you, what it's done for the business? Yeah, so again, let's, let's get calibrated on the, the numbers. So $800 million, 20-year uh, deal, mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that if we were going to do this, we were going to do it at a, at a length of time that we had time to not only change adoption, but really drive business value for our shareholders. So I would say from a name adoption perspective, exceeds expectations. And, and again, a lot of it had to do with the success of the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. We got national coverage. Um, we got international coverage. And so from that perspective, this was a lightning strike, winning changes everything. In fact, as a quick aside, the, the number of people that saw those final games against Golden State continue to break records in Canada on a national basis. Oh, I believe it. We'd just never seen basketball numbers that high in Canada before. And that's because everyone across the country rallied around the success of the Toronto Raptors. Scotiabank spends $800 million on naming rights. I'm just wondering, was the average Canadian pissed off? Because I'm just trying to think, it's like, here is a bank, I give the bank my money, they charge me, you know, I, sure I make interest and all that stuff, they charge me for transactions, they're making profits and all this kind of stuff, and now they went ahead and used that money to put their name on the side of a building. How do people feel about that? Yeah, I think we, we, we monitored uh, the reaction really carefully on the day the announcement was made, because we wanted to make sure that we were being... Um, we were listening to both our customers and what Canadians were saying. Mm -hmm. And certainly there was some noise that came through around, well, now my fees are going to go up and you're going to charge me a higher interest rate. I'd say timing worked uh, in our favor in that those signings really changed the narrative to, wow, the reason we got Tavares, the reason we got Kawhi Leonard is because of the $800, $800 million deal that Scotia signed. So suddenly... Canadians were giving us credit for, uh, you know, big off-season signings on the team. 
but yeah, there, there was originally some noise and then it turned very quickly to optimism about the team's performance. That's amazing because I think that the average person probably doesn't really make the connection between what does, uh, what does MLSE, what is MLSE do what's with MLSE the money? going to exactly. do with the money? Oh, great. It's going to go into our shareholder, blah, 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 whatever the thing is. And they don't really make the connection that they're going to use the money to attract talent, to be able to do these signings. So, yeah, talk about a perfect storm. That would have been amazing for sure. Literally, it was July 1st and uh, they announced our, our, our building name was being raised on a crane. And uh, Brandon Shanahan said, you know, live from Scotiabank Arena, we have important news for Leafs fans across the country. We've just signed John Travaris. I mean, that as a marketer, you're going to get lucky in your career once or twice. That one served my entire career as far as luck is concerned. Right. It was spectacular. Let's dig a little deeper on name adoption. So we're so used to calling it the Air Canada Centre, and then we're changing it, or you change it to Scotiabank Arena. How did you how did you really get people to reconsider, rethink name adoption? And did you have any sort of tricks in your bag to speed that up? Yeah, so let me tell you first, one of my biggest fears is that someone was gonna come up with a cute acronym for Scotiabank Arena. The Vault. And suddenly that's what it was gonna be called for the next twenty years. So if you if you asked me what I was worried about, by far it was, you know, what happened to Air Canada. So again, for a generation that calls it the ACC, I suspect some of those people didn't even know the connection to Air Canada Center. Oh, that's really interesting. So the nomenclature was incredibly important to, to, to us at Scotiabank that you actually called it Scotiabank Arena. As opposed so that to SA. SA or, you know, the vault to your point or a whole host of other names that, uh, that were talked about at the grassroots level. Yeah. Again, we monitor this, but it really never gained traction. And so um, number one was to make sure that we really cemented this name Scotiabank Arena. My theory was if, if Ron and Don say the vault on TV, well, guess what's going to happen the next yeah. day? So once we determined, okay, Scotiabank Arena, this is what we want to call it, we started brainstorming with our agency partners, with our internal team, what are the things that we can do to really improve the customer experience or the fan experience? And so some of the things we did, we, we did a, a partnership with Metrolinx where we gave out free Presto cards that were branded Scotiabank Arena, and we preloaded them to give uh, fans free rides on the TTC or on the GO train. Those are the kind of tactics that really, really, um, for those that weren't aware, you hand them a free Presto card that's got $8 on it, and now suddenly that becomes their, their Presto card for, for their lives. I mean, that worked remarkably well. And again, we leveraged our hockey ecosystem. We had Darcy Tucker handing these things out at GO stations and at TTC stations. So we spent a significant amount of money on outdoor in and around the arena to really promote the fact that you know this was now our house. It had a new name. Uh, but we wanted to be respectful of the heritage as well, right? So we made sure that we were never denigrating Air Canada or ACC. This was all about looking ahead. And I'd say finally, the last thing we did is, this is a 20-year building, and it doesn't look like a 20-year-old building. And so in collaboration with MLSE, we've made some improvements to the arena itself. 
Actually, at the moment, there's a crane across the street that's taking down the, the Videotron board at, at Jurassic Park, and we're making it 30% bigger and high definition. So the experience for the fan is going to be much, much better in September of this year than it was watching the playoffs. I love the fact that you're looking at it from the fan experience or the consumer experience or whatever you want to call it back toward the organization because I think if it was to work the other way, wouldn't be as effective, right? I agree. And I think it's really interesting, too, because when my initial reaction was probably aligned to the, the naysayers, right? Oh, they're spending $800 million. Good for them, you know, must have been a good year kind of thing. But one of the things I think is really great is that you're using that as an opportunity to fuel passion, to generate excitement, to give something back to the fans, um, to change the experience, to make it better, and to make the, the partnership much more than a name on the building, but instead make it meaningful for people. And that's really where the power is. Absolutely. In fact, internally, that's how we started promoting it, is that this was much, much more than the name on the side of the building. We really wanted to start with the fans, whether they were here in Toronto or, frankly, across the country, and really embrace that excitement of winning. Certainly, we're really, really proud of first year and name adoption. Oh, yeah, man, you should be, absolutely. Where it really started to hit me personally was when the sign started to change underground and on the highways, and it said Scotiabank Arena, right? This wasn't our signs. This was part of the fabric of Toronto. And that's when the extent of the deal really became magic. Google uh, started automatically flipping. If you started Google search of ACC, it changed it to Scotiabank Arena. Huh. Uh, Uber did the same thing, right? So again, we, we took advantage of our entire ecosystem to make sure that name adoption was there. I love that. I never even considered that would be something that you would do. Yeah. So you, think about that. You start typing in Air Canada Center in Uber or Google, yeah. and there's an algorithm or whatever that changes it to Scotiabank And it Arena. gets better. What we did is we worked with our ambassador and our partner, Austin Matthews. Mm -hmm. we, we created short videos, and he would pop up and say, hey, it's called Scotiabank Arena now. It's, it's our home. So we had a little bit of fun along the way to really embrace the fact that, after all, it's, it's sports, it's the Leafs, there's passion, there's heritage. As much as it was a really serious marketing complex problem to solve, we took advantage of things in a very Scotia-like way. Amazing. All right, welcome to the lightning round, where we put you in the hot seat to learn a little bit more about who you are outside your day job. So what's your favorite movie? Star Wars. The first one? First one. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Night owl. Do you tuck in your sheets at the bottom of your bed or do you kick them open so your feet can hang out? Kick them open. Nice. Favorite food? Bacon. Wow. And then bacon wrapped in bacon. Best place you've ever traveled? Uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Have you ever gone parachuting? No. Would you? No. Favorite campaign? Where's the beef? Wendy's. Wow, nice. Yeah. That was a great campaign. That, that was, was terrific. If you weren't working for Scotiabank, where would you work? I would be a contractor. Like building houses? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up watching Bob Vila. I know Homes and Homes and Bauer and Hour are the, the men, but for me, my hero was Bob Vila. Bob and Vila. so on weekends, you can see me channeling my, my inner Bob Vila. Swing and a hammer? Oh, yeah. Nice. Do you have a, a pneumatic nailer? I do. Me too. They're awesome. So that wraps up the first 
episode of season two. Clinton, thanks so much for being here, man. That was a great conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash ca slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. And make sure you rate us too. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Have an idea for Shift? We want to hear it. Let us know on social by submitting your idea with hashtag ShiftPodcast. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.